Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, I share my personal story, including my journey of recovery from alcoholism and what motivated me to become a Life Purpose Coach. And now, the Live Your Purpose Podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose Podcast. Today I'm going to be sharing my own story, some reflections on my journey so far, some successes and failures, wins and losses and everything in between, some high points and low points, and what has ultimately led me to do the work that I'm doing today. My hope by sharing these reflections and thoughts is that you will be able to relate in some way to parts of my own story, and use them for your own life and the work that you do in the world. I grew up with a very loving family, a mother and father who are still married today, and an older sister, and um, had wonderful opportunities from a very early age. I had uh, the chance to play sports and go camping and visit cool places in Oklahoma and outside of the state. I had uh, great access to education and extended family. We spent lots of time at grandmas and grandpas and with uncles and aunts and, and had really opportunities that many other people don't have. And I look back now and I realize how truly privileged I was in growing up. It was also, like most homes, an imperfect place and there were problems. But by and large, I had more than my fair share of love, support, and care. Uh, early on, I had a gift and a, and a true interest in learning. I excelled in school from a very early age and liked the opportunity to, to learn new things, uh, to demonstrate my knowledge and uh, be tested on what I knew. I loved that sense of accomplishment that came from doing well on a test, or raising my hand and having the right answer. And then I enjoyed, uh, later on in school, in my uh, this would be fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you know, when homework started to increase, coming home and, and, and really diving deep into the content. And I remember very clearly going to bed at night and reflecting back on all the things I had learned that day and trying to categorize them and go back over them. And, and that would put me to sleep at night. So um, that was my, my early years were filled with lots of experiences, um, lots of support and love, good opportunities, success in school. And uh, about the age of 10, things started to change for me. The, there were a variety of other things going on in my world, and I didn't understand them. And I started to become fairly uncertain about uh, the world I was living in. And for my temperament type, it turns out that's pretty common at that age. Uh, I didn't have language for it then, and uh, I just knew that there was something heavy inside of me uh, and something very confused, and which started to feel separated from my family and, and those around me. That grew and grew in my teenage years, and so I distinctly remember, you know, seventh grade and those awful 
middle school, junior high years. <laughs> Those were terrible years for me. Uh, lots of great experiences, but my inner world was just, you know, it was a nightmare every day. I didn't understand why people were doing the things they were doing. I, I uh, was very much an outsider in, in many of the social norms and uh, the ways that people talk to each other just didn't fit me. Uh, I was much more of a deep thinker, a sensitive person, uh, a person who wanted to be honest and uh, do the right thing. And, and that wasn't always the case with people. And so that came as a shock. And um, I also learned that academic achievement wasn't all there was. There was a favoritism that boosted people's grades. And it wasn't always about what you knew and how well you could perform. But it's, uh, it's who you knew and how well you could perform at uh, courting them and developing relationships with teachers and other popular people. Um, this wasn't the only thing that I experienced, but these were really uh, disruptive uh, realizations that I had at that age in, in junior high and high school. What I uh, remember now is that I felt keenly at the, at the, the ages of 13, 14, 15, increasingly isolated, uh, disconnected, and really confused by the people around me, by maybe life in general, and developed a pretty significant depression and lots of anxiety and uh, unhealthy coping mechanisms, uh, which later um, turned into addiction for me. About the age of 15 or 16, I was able to have uh, more than enough alcohol to produce intoxication. And the first time that I got drunk, it was the biggest thrill and uh, also like the biggest relief I had ever experienced up to that point. Uh, this is common, again, for those like me uh, who may have experienced alcoholism or drug addiction. The first time that you get drunk or high, it's like a personality change. It's like everything that was wrong is right. Uh, all the problems, all of the anxiety, all of the the sense of failure and self-doubt and confusion just melts away, at least for a little while. And from that moment, uh, I remember, I, I'm going to need to make this a regular part of my routine. Uh, you know, drinking became um, a focal point, and I wasn't drinking daily, but it was something I was looking forward to, and not just for the sake of being social and, and having a few drinks, but... Uh, in order to get intoxicated and experience that feeling and that that change that I had experienced that first time. Well, long story short, uh, I developed an addiction to alcohol really quickly. I didn't know it at the time. It would take me another 10 plus years to recognize that I was alcoholic from very young age, probably 16. And uh, at the same time, uh, I was increasingly angry um, really wanted to, uh, to get even with the world in some way. I had a big chip on my shoulder, um, and I was still trying to navigate being, uh, the good boy and the, the achiever, <laughs> the, the one who made good grades and did the right thing. But I was leading a double life at that time and was getting into trouble on the side and, and not getting caught but uh, certainly, you know, high-risk behaviors and taking stuff that wasn't mine and, uh, and doing uh, small acts of, of rebellion like that that were high-risk. 
um, really started to be a problem for me. And that became a way of life for several years, um, which ultimately uh, led me to even greater confusion because this was not in connection with who I wanted to be. It wasn't my value system that I was raised with by my parents and my family for sure. And um, I knew that it was incongruent with who I thought myself to be, but that was all skewed and messed up and I didn't know what to do about it. Well, got through high school uh, and then did go to college and college represented for me um, a big shift. You know, I moved away from home. I was uh, in unfamiliar territory uh, around some people that I knew, but a lot of people that I didn't. And college was way different than high school. You know, there was new expectations and new ways of uh, navigating the world and uh, a need for more independence and self-reliance. And I had a lot of unhealthy tendencies that came in with me to college and really made my first year or two of college extremely difficult. Um, And by my second year in college, I had become so depressed and still addicted to alcohol and drugs, a very low point, very isolated, um, to the point where I thought the only way to deal with this was to commit suicide. And so while I was in college, uh, my second year in college, I did attempt suicide. It didn't work. Uh, I'm here today. And I'm so grateful that it didn't. Um, But I needed a lot of help to come through that. It would take years. So for anyone out there who has attempted suicide, you know, it's a journey. And it it took me many, many years to come through that and come to terms with that and and to find new ways to live. Um, Fast forward just a little bit. I, my girlfriend at the time, and then fiance and now wife, still my wife today, Christy, was there through all of these struggles and uh, severe depression and drunkenness and confusion. Uh, Meanwhile, we were growing closer together and and trying to live a life, and we ended up getting married. And uh, after I did finally graduate from college, that's a longer story, but I did graduate. I had to go back after a couple of years uh, hiatus and sort of get enough clarity and and, clarity sense of meaning to to realign myself and get back in college. And I'm glad I did. I did really well. But I still had many of these underlying emotional issues, addiction, uh, some trauma, and um, self-doubt, anxiety, other things that really prevented me from functioning well. But I was able to, to accomplish uh, college and graduate. Uh, after college, Christy and I got married, and she... Uh, began her career in teaching, and I began my career in natural resources, and um, we started having a family, and that was wonderful. I was able to be there for the birth of both of my daughters, which is really hard for an alcoholic of my caliber to say. I'm really grateful. I think there was intervention, divine intervention, <laughs> that made that possible, but certainly my values were at play and, and my desire to to be there and not feel bad about not having been uh, at my daughter's births. So those are two of the three of the most wonderful days, marrying and the love of my life and being there for the birth of both of our daughters. So um, unfortunately, you know, 
having a family, getting a career, settling down really wasn't enough. And for many of us hardcore alcoholics and addicts, it's not enough. There's something else going on that uh, is more powerful and more confusing, more baffling. Um, And that is the nature of addiction itself. So for me, addiction continued. Uh, Even though I was working and and doing well in the work I was doing, I was struggling um, very, very strongly outside of work. And uh, my relationship with my wife was, uh, was wearing down. Um, she was understandably losing patience with me. And, uh, for a person like her, anyone who knows her, this was really hard for her because she ended up having to make one of the toughest decisions she's ever made. And I won't tell too much of her story, but, uh, she ended up, um, leaving with the girls when they were, three years old and just less than one year old and uh, and not telling me where they went. My behavior was more and more unpredictable. I was still suicidal. I was becoming somewhat homicidal. Um, I did not inflict violence on my family, but I was violence looking for a place to happen. And um, I'm really thankful. Again, I have a lot to be grateful for. I'm really thankful that that Christy did leave with the girls. That was the best decision for her. And I think it was the best decision for me. It really was necessary in my journey of recovery. I had tried psychologists, psychiatrists. As I said previously, uh, years earlier, I had had the suicide attempt, which uh, landed me in a two-week psychiatric Uh, care center where you get no shoelaces, no razor blades, and a lot of monitoring. Uh, So I was there. Um, I, you know, subsequently went to hospitals from time to time with just too much to drink and intoxication and inflamed organs and all the things that happens with people like us. Um, Psychiatrists, psychologists helped some, but no profound change really occurred with me in, in my drinking. And, and I had laid other drugs down, but it was alcohol that stayed with me. So the, the longest stretch of sobriety that I had in my 16 years of drinking was three months during one summer. And my wife remembers that fondly. <laughs> I don't remember it exactly the same because I hadn't found another way to live without uh, alcohol. So it was it was a struggle for me, but there were many, many good moments. So again, back to the journey of recovery. Uh, My wife had left with the two girls. I had tried a 28-day treatment program uh, the year before at about the same time of year, uh, which is about now, you know, December, January. And um, I had had some success, you know, and I learned some things about myself. I I had a month sober because I didn't drink and drug there. But uh, when I got out, I think it only lasted two or three weeks and I was back in, in similar cycles before I knew it. Um, it would take me, you know, altogether since the time I really knew that I was alcoholic, five years to get sober. Um, but I did go back when, when Christy was gone. I went back to that treatment center. Um, I told my employer at the time, I'm, you know, I'm going back to this place, which was Valley Hope of Cushing. Thank you, Valley Hope. Uh, I'm a two-time resident. And um, this was in February, ultimately, of, of 2006. 
And then um, while I was in recovery, I needed that space away from the life I was living. I know my wife needed it. And, um, and I didn't care if I got sober or not. I thought my family was finished. Uh, I didn't think I was probably going to keep the career job I was in. I didn't really care. Uh, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I was either going to, <laughs> this is alcoholic thinking at its best. I was either going to travel to Alaska for some reason and live there or go to the recovery center again. Well, I went to the recovery center, which was a better decision. And so while I was there, I, I got lots of help and support. I found out after a few weeks, I, I was serious about sobriety. It kind of surprised me. And in one of the sessions, they have these sessions that you attend, and, and there's a theme often to, to the teaching by the counselors and staff. And the theme, as I remember it, was acceptance. And it's a word that I'd heard many times. I'd been going to Alcoholics Anonymous and trying to get sober that way, along with a psychiatrist and psychologist. And it just hadn't stuck. But I'd heard these, these principles discussed and these ideas. And acceptance was a big word. And the way that it was described and the place that I was in at the time, internally, when this session was going on and acceptance was being really picked apart and looked at closely, and this was an hour-long talk, if I remember right, that time just stopped for me. All of my environment around me just was quiet and I was completely zoned in to to what was being talked about. And I remember I just started writing. And what I wrote, I don't remember. But uh, this word acceptance leapt off the page. There is a, a book in the back of um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous called Acceptance Was the Answer. And acceptance is almost polar opposite to the addictive mind, which is you know, more resistance or denial. And acceptance is, is saying, you know what? I'm not living life on life's terms. I can't drink successfully. It's not going to make my life better. It's going to make it worse. And regardless of, of what happens here on out, I've got to not drink. And that clarity had not come to me up to that point, which is the nature of addiction. You know, it's the illness that says you don't have it. And I really needed that, that grace and that breakthrough. I couldn't make that happen, but I was in the right place and in the right frame of mind to be able to receive it. And that was a gift. So from that point forward, I, I really worked the, um, the program, you know, I, I, started getting further into the steps and reading different things, and my mind was opening some places that I hadn't uh, really had access to within myself for probably 20 years, maybe more. Um, back to those days when I really loved studying and went to bed thinking about what I'd learned that day, I started picking that habit back up again and, and doing that at night as I was going to bed, you know, thinking about the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the materials that I was reading uh, things like this. Um, and so after uh, my 28-day stay at Valley Hope, uh, it was time for a decision, really from my wife. Um, they, she had moved back into our the house we were living in at the time with our girls. And we had had a conversation about me moving back in. And she ultimately decided, no, not to let me move back in. And I know, again, that was probably one of the most gut-wrenching decisions she ever had to make. It was the right one. 
and uh, because it was right for her and our daughters. Um, but it forced me to, you know, try to make some more other decisions. Now, well, do I move to Alaska <laughs> like I thought before or, um, or do I pursue another option? And the idea of a uh, halfway house came up in some conversations with counselors and other folks at Valley Hope. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'll look into that. And there was a halfway house in Ponca City that um, <clears throat> I didn't know much about the city, but I knew the person who was running the halfway house and loved him, still do to this day. And I knew Ray was up there. And if Ray was there, I had a chance of making it. And so um, I did move into that halfway house and was there for, I believe, five months total time in a town that was unfamiliar to me. Uh, while I was there, I did end up losing my career job, separated from my family, uh, and missing our youngest daughter's first birthday party because, again, rightfully, I was not invited. So these were hard times worth um, spending a few minutes on because this is the backstory of so much of my life that folks may not know about. So if you yourself have struggled with addiction of any kind, um, or if you've had major setbacks or losses, you know what? Uh, I've been there. I've been there. Maybe not with your particular situation, but I can empathize and have compassion for and even some understanding of uh, those dynamics and what happens with addiction and loss and disruption. So during my stay at the halfway house, it was really one of the best times of my life looking back. I was 80 pounds overweight. I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Uh, I was mowing lawns now for my career because I was fired from my, my other one, my other job. Um, with another addict, we were mowing lawns and just trying to make ends meet and going to two or three AA meetings a day along with the, uh, the therapy sessions uh, with Ray. And, uh, and my wife started to come into some of these sessions too. So she would come in and visit and and we had a couple of those. And we were talking on the phone at night and things were getting better. What I can remember more than anything is that things were getting different. You know, they say that in recovery, your life gets better. My experience was not that. My experience was that first, my life got really, really different. And that is the signal that things are changing. I was in unfamiliar territory. Uh, geographically, I was living somewhere that I wasn't familiar with. But internally, I had not learned to navigate these areas. I had not learned to deal with stress and disappointment and uh, confusion and uh, self-doubt and other aspects in the ways that I was learning uh, now that I was sober and living life on life's terms, not the way that I thought it should be or ought to be. Uh, and so these new understandings started to form me and change me. Uh, as I look at it today, looking back, those five months, I had a sponsor in AA, great counseling. <clears throat> Most of the people in my environment were trying to, to live a sober life. And, um, and there were people like me in these meetings that had lost so much. And yet I noticed many of them had found a level of peace, at least, if not happiness and purpose in their lives. And I thought, you know what? I lost that years ago. Even though I had some glimpses from time to time, I really lost connection with uh, who, I, who I was uh, at a deep level. And for a person like me 
I am intimately aware of when I'm disconnected from who I think I am. And uh, that had been happening for years, so it's no wonder that I was so miserable. You know, that's something that I need to do on a regular basis. The steps and those friendships and that support allowed me to reconnect and I think sometime, uh, sometimes connect for the first time in these meaningful, deep, uh, healthy ways with who I am, uh, what my gifts are, what gets in my way of being that person, and, and how I avoid causing harm to other people as a result. So I did work through all of the steps with a sponsor, uh, and I then went through all of the traditions with my sponsor and um, got a really good education and background in, in recovery through the lens of Alcoholics Anonymous. I began sharing my story at other meetings, and, and uh, my life was getting better. And it still didn't seem like it was maybe would last. I wasn't sure. But I do remember distinctly one after one meeting um, that a member of Alcoholics Anonymous came up to me and after the meeting was over and said, Hey, Charles, how are you doing? And I said, All right, or okay, whatever I said. And this person said, It looks like you're happy. And I just remember thinking inside myself, that makes no sense at all. How could that ever be possible? But I learned to listen to other people, that they may be telling me something that's true, that I don't recognize internally. And so I thought and meditated on that, uh, about the fact that I might be happy. And it turns out I was. So for the first time uh, in years and years and years, maybe 20 plus years, I, I was truly happy. I was satisfied at a very deep level. I was connected with who I was, and I was doing the thing that I needed to do in the world, and that was stay sober and do the next right thing as I build uh, this life wherever it's going to lead me. So uh, with time, uh, after about, like I said, five months in the halfway house, uh, Christy was ready for me to move back home. And so I did. And uh, moved back home together and you know, reintegrated with the family. And, and we began talking every night. Uh, we were both working the steps you know, through Al-Anon for her and AA through me. Still attending meetings and, um, and sharing life together in this new, new way that we were both finding. Uh, new, healthier, supportive, loving ways with healthy boundaries uh, in, in the home. And so one of the funniest, uh, most touching memories that, that both of us remember is that um, when our girls were little, <clears throat> Christy remembers driving and uh, they were in the car seat in the back and our oldest daughter you know, had a play phone that she was using and she, she was probably four at the time, three or four. And uh, she would answer it every once in a while and say, hello, alcoholic. <laughs> How are you? And it was just really sweet. So recovery was was in all of our minds. We were living and breathing and doing uh, recovery. So even our youngest daughters were influenced by it. So as we uh, moved back together as a family, about a year later, we were living outside of town of Oklahoma City, where both of our sets of parents and, and some of our other family lives. And we decided together to move back home so that the girls could be closer to grandparents and extended family. And so that we could um, sort of reclaim parts of ourselves and, and build a life in a place that we were familiar with. 
So we really focused on what mattered to us together as a couple and, and what did we want to do about that. So my wife found a job here and I began, I was working after I was released, fired from my career job. Like I said, I mowed lawns for a while. But then um, when I moved back home, uh, there was a, a tree and shrub nursery, which is related to the, the degree that I have, which is in forestry an eight-acre nursery that was uh, in town and that I applied for and got a job. And I was literally doing manual labor. And, and my degree is in math and science and uh, you know, technical application of natural resources sciences uh, to management of uh, forests and ecosystems. So this was what I felt initially like a step down. It turned out not being that at all. I was outside where I love to be almost all day long, every day, in all weather. And uh, you know, watering trees, taking care of plants, you know, doing something healthy, making life better for people. And customers would come in and, and want to make their homes better and prettier and more beautiful. And I thought, this is a pretty good gig. Um, and so I was losing weight. Again, I was 80 pounds overweight at the time. Uh, but... Through this manual labor, I um, started to just shed weight naturally. I wasn't trying to. I was still smoking cigarettes. But uh, as the weight poured off, I started getting more intentional about my diet and and ended up quitting cigarettes, stopped smoking. Uh, I lost all of that weight over time. It took me several, a couple, three years. I did it slowly. But um, I was getting healthy and liking it. You know, I started working out for the first time in years and years. Uh, I worked my way up to a position that they'd never had before, which was traveling sales. And um, that that didn't last into our move into back to Oklahoma City, because this, again, was out of town. But um, when we moved back to Oklahoma City, my wife is a music teacher for a public school. <clears throat> she continued to do that at a local school, which she's still there today. And I began serving I began reclaiming parts of myself that had just been lying dormant and underutilized or forgotten um, for, for years. And I found meaning and fulfillment through um, volunteering. I was an at-home parent for two years when we moved back. I did that intentionally. We both decided that I would do that. So I was taking our girls out to you know, field trips in the park and making lunch and brushing hair and doing all that good stuff. Um, and after that, I wanted to give back. I wanted to serve. I wanted to test what I learned and do something uh, that helped others. And I was really inspired by that. And that ended up leading me to something called AmeriCorps. And for those that don't know it, I, the way I describe it is it's essentially the Peace Corps, but at home. And so these are opportunities to, to make lives better for people that are, are in need and have a, a wide variety of challenges and resources are needed, often direct care or service of some kind. So what I did first was something called AmeriCorps VISTA, where I earned uh, a very low poverty wage and uh, worked with a, a local nonprofit to help raise money and awareness for a, a traveling urban ensemble that was in Northeast Oklahoma City. And they ended up traveling all over to New York City and getting to know some really neat people for them. 
Um, and that was wonderful work. Uh, I was able to use some of my management and other skills that I'd learned in my, my profession. So I found that really surprising and rewarding that uh, my past wasn't a waste. I could still use those uh, skills and lessons learned in healthy, productive ways. That was a year term of service. Then I moved uh, into the school system uh, where my wife teaches and was an AmeriCorps, I think, after-school program mentor. Uh, maybe is what they called it, but there was an after-school program and I was active with that. So playing basketball, developing games, uh, working with young people. These are elementary kids on life skills and helping them with math or reading or you know homework or, or classroom challenges that they had. And that led me to be noticed by the principal, who then asked me if I would if I would come on as staff the following year. And I worked, because I do have a background in math and science, I worked as a, a math intervention uh, specialist, uh, as a teacher assistant to a long-time tenured teacher who was amazing to work with. Um, and so helping third through fifth graders to develop their math skills and up their game and, of course, pass the test, but... But my interest was like connecting with these people in small groups and, and, uh, and learning where their challenges were with math. And then inevitably, they start talking about their lives. And so that comes into the tables home too. And I really loved that aspect of it. Uh, from there, I did work one more, almost one more year with the school system as the computer lab tech. And that's through kindergarten through fifth graders. And so it's essentially a lead uh, teacher or teacher assistant for um helping kids with technology and, and uh, getting them on the computers. And, and I loved that. But what I found is that I really wanted to do more. So as I wrap up in our, in our last few minutes, what got me into the work that I'm doing today was a sense that I had had years ago of being able to connect with people in ways that make sense for them and in ways that allow them to be more genuine, more comfortable with who they are, and more effective with how they do whatever it is that they do. I'd had that gift for a long time, and it showed up in uh, on the baseball field for me. I played catcher, and I was able to, uh, you know, see the field in different ways and able to communicate with the pitcher and outfield and, and infield uh, effectively, and and really enjoyed that role. Um, I noticed that in uh, projects that we would do in school that um, I would often be able to collaborate well and to, to lead a team pretty well. Um, not always, but I, I had a knack for that for people that wanted to work together especially. Um, and, and then into my, my early career uh, in forestry, well, it allowed me to work across um, all kinds of different groups from education to um, uh, to industry, to um, the homeowners. I was working in the urban environment in the city. So uh, really interesting, working across organizational and departmental lines and, and helping and get down to core issues, resolving those and uh, helping the whatever it might be, the program or the organization to grow as a result. And so I was doing this in the school system, but I wanted to do more of it. And I recognized that I wanted to work one-on-one or in small groups around these core ideas, finding out who someone is, helping them align with that, and then live that out in some meaningful, purposeful way. 
And of course, this is the language that I use today in the work that I do as a life purpose coach. So um, just about five years ago now, I launched uh, the business Full Integration Coaching. I went and received um, very rigorous training as a coach. It was, I believe, eight months of training uh, through the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, IPEC. They're one of the leading uh, coach training organizations in the world, uh, especially in the U.S., but they have uh, branches in Canada and Europe and, oh, I want to say maybe a couple of other countries. Um, and so they're, they're really well-respected. And they allowed me to, uh, by receiving that training, I got a great education, but it also uh, empowered me to be an, a certified international coach federation coach. And they're the global leader in coach credentialing. So I really invested in this. I knew that I wanted to be doing the work that I'm doing today. Had no doubts about it. I didn't know how to build a business, but I knew I wanted to do the work. And so got trained, launched the business, and started out. The, fun, the thing that I find most rewarding in the work that I do today is that I get to work very closely in supportive, non-judgmental, uh, very rigorous ways with people uh, around things that matter most to them, you know, their values, the work that they do in the world, uh, their sense of self, um, <clears throat> their priorities, uh, the goals that they have for themselves and whether or not they reach them and how they reach them. Those are all very, very exciting things to me. I've always been very passionate about growth, development, learning, uh, and becoming, which is different. You know, that inward posture of finding out who we are, what makes us tick, uh, and then aligning that with some work in the world or some sense of meaning and purpose uh, in the ways that we connect with those around us. So the folks that I've been able to, to help as a result include social entrepreneurs. I have a client and now very, very good friend in Uganda named Christopher Odongo. And we worked together for almost a year around um, his vision and sense of purpose in the world, which ultimately led him to launch a non-governmental organization, a non-profit called Shelter of Smiles Uganda. And um, that has been phenomenal. Uh, moving past the client stage, more of a collaborative, uh, even friend stage now, I've been able to take some of his initial projects to our local church for fundraisers and partnership opportunities. He's met other people on his own, of course, um, and is really developing uh, a really um, promising model for sustainable, uh, sustainable growth and community development in Uganda. And so that has been, I never would have expected that, you know, in my drinking days and my days of desperation and the suicide attempt and all those years of being lost. Um, I never would have imagined that in a million years. So that has been extremely rewarding. Other clients I won't mention by name, uh, but um, helping folks that are, are active in the community that um, have their own health coaching practice and they're starting to bring um, individuals from um, different parts of the community together for, for greater purposes and um, people that are in executive roles that want to transition from the work they've been doing and into 
uh, a time of giving back uh, in some way. They want to transition out of their executive role, maybe look at retirement and and find out what that means after a career of achievement and accomplishment. That's richly rewarding. Um, I've worked with folks that are um, embedded in, in leadership roles at uh, lead manager or executive level leadership who want to incorporate uh, more authenticity, uh, more servant leadership, more uh, integrity and courage as, and more vision into their role. Um, and that is phenomenal work as well. So these are people that, um, that want to let some of the guards down, become more vulnerable, uh, pursue a vision, and, and stop uh, leading some other leader's life and lead their own. And that is uh, amazing work. So, uh, and also creative professionals. I've worked with authors. Uh, one author I worked with was published as a result of our work together. And they did the work to get published, but the, the coaching helped them to complete their work, and, and which has led to a very rich uh, relationship. And others that have been past published authors and working around other things in their lives. So these are servant leaders, creative professionals, social entrepreneurs. But above all, what I really um, wanted to be able to do for my whole life was just to get a thrill out of life, to do my best work and to be my best self. And that's what I get to do on a daily basis. And watching others light up and, and, and pursue their best life in the most authentic version of who they are is indescribable. Um, I experienced that myself. And to see all the others that I've served experience it for themselves um, is, is really the biggest reward that I could uh, even imagine. It's meaningful work. It's purposeful work. Uh, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So uh, with that, I want to close with this. Be reflecting on, um, on your own experiences, if you haven't already. It doesn't have to be as extreme as mine, or maybe it's more extreme. I've met people with, with uh, more difficult stories than mine, for sure. But regardless, that's my story. What's your own story? And what are the challenges that you faced in the past? How did you come through them? Or are you still coming through them? And how has it changed the person that you are today? So those challenges especially, looking back at those, uh, how did you come through them? Or, you know, what do you need to do to come through them today? And how has it changed you? Or how might it change you? I can tell you, I wouldn't have dreamed, like I said, two or three times now, of... Um, that I was the person that I am. I look back now and I'm like, this is the person I've been in, in many ways for a long, long time. And I just lost touch with that. And I added a bunch of other things on top of it that weren't real. You know, false versions, masks that I would wear, fears, um, addictions, woundedness, uh, victimization, anger and rage and all of these things that clouded my inner vision of who I really am. So I view recovery for me as really uh, peeling back the layers and taking away all the things that I am not so as to reveal who I actually am. That's been my personal journey. Recovery for me has been a homecoming to the person that I am, the person that I want to be, uh, which has allowed me to align very authentically with the work that I do in the world. 
and uh, I have a lot of gratitude for that. I owe my wife, Christy, and our girls, my extended family, my parents, my sister, everyone, um, uh, a huge debt of gratitude that comes in the form of you know, having really good relationships with people, trying to be supportive, uh, listening to others, building people up, being there for family events, you know, knowing what's going on in our girls' lives, and, and just been generally being responsible in ways that I can now that I couldn't then. So enough for me. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please subscribe. And if you would, throw down a comment to a post or shoot me an email. You can email me at charles at fullintegrationcoaching.com. And of course, you can find me online at fullintegrationcoaching.com or follow along on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. And remember, you were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.